This year at Vacation Bible School, our church collectively studied the seven I Am statements of Jesus from the Gospel of John. Each of these statements made by our Lord points to His deity, as well as showing His love for us. Each statement shows how only Jesus saves, reveals, provides, gives life, and sustains us in our walk with Him. And we'd like to thank you for listening to this lesson. This lesson and more are available on our sermon podcast. For more information, please visit us online at northbryantbaptist.org. It is great to be here tonight. Great to see you all. Great to have visitors with us tonight. Glad that you're here. We've had two good nights at Bible school so far. Um, I've enjoyed it. I hope you have. It goes by so quickly. You know, after tonight, we just have two, two lessons, and, and that's it. So uh, just to kind of recap real quick, we're looking at the I am statements of Jesus and the focus statements that I have on the board over here, the same ones are in your workbook and the same ones that we came up with for the children because, you know, just having something really simple but um, powerful is helpful for them, but it's also helpful for us. So Sunday night, the, the focus was that Jesus saves. He's the bread of life. And then last night when we looked at Jesus being the light of the world is that he reveals um, and tonight, as we look at Jesus being the door of the sheep and the good shepherd, the focus is that Jesus protects. And we'll see that as we go through. Um, so we'll be in John chapter 10 uh, eventually. We're going to have some background uh, kind of set up just like we had the last couple nights as well. I want you to think about something, though, as we're sort of preparing for this lesson. I want you to think, you don't usually hear a pastor say this, but I don't want you to think spiritually for just a minute. <laughs> Say, what? No, no, just listen to me. What's your most valuable possession? Not your family. I'm not thinking of that. I want you to think of something physical that you own. That's one. Something tangible. Maybe it's just a diamond ring that's really valuable. Maybe it's something like that. Or maybe it's a scrapbook of pictures that if something happened to that photo album, you'd be devastated. What's your most valuable possession? And then where do you keep it? You don't have to tell me. I'm not going to come break into your house later tonight to get it, okay? You probably want it protected, right? That's why we have locks on our doors. That's why we have safety deposit boxes. You may have a gun safe in your house or different things like that, a fireproof box. We have those sorts of things because we want our valuables. We want things that are important to us. We want it protected. So in ancient Israel... One of, uh, one of the most important and one of the most valued things in ancient Israel was sheep. We don't think sheep are that big a deal today probably, but in ancient Israel, uh, livestock in general were very valuable and very important, and sheep could do a lot of different things uh, for you and, and help you in a lot of different ways. So sheep were very valuable, and a good shepherd would do anything in his power to protect his sheep and keep them safe. And we're going to see that tonight in the life of Jesus. Um, but we're going to start actually where we started last night. And it's going to seem strange, but you remember in John chapter 7, in verse 2, he told us, John told us that the Feast of Booths was at hand, right? That's the Feast of Tabernacles, the Feast of Shelters, where they went to Israel, or went to Jerusalem, and on the Mount of Olives they built their, their tents. I won't recap all of that. But I want you to look down at John. Um, 10 22 okay so from John 7 all the way down to John 10 22 we just have sort of a running story and there's no break there's never a change of scenery but what does John 10 22 tell us 
at that time the Feast of Dedication took place at Jerusalem, it was winter. You say, but Brother Matt, I thought it was September or October here in John chapter 7. And it was fall. Now all of a sudden it's winter. What happened? Three months passed. But as we read these stories, John just beautifully stitches them together. And somehow three months pass. And John's just such an amazing writer that we leave the Feast of Booths and we arrive at the Feast of Dedication and we really didn't even realize we were traveling. Uh, He's just a perfect writer. Of course, he's being inspired by the Holy Spirit. So it's exactly the way God wanted him to write this. Now, we need to talk a little bit about uh, about some things here um, between these times. So, in John chapter 9, we're going to spend a minute talking about John chapter 9 because it's important for the context. During the Feast of Booths, And around this time, in John chapter 9, Jesus passed by uh, a man at the the temple who was blind from birth. Okay, I'm going to read a few verses here. We won't read the whole chapter, but look at John chapter 9. As he passed by, actually, let's back up a little bit, right? We need to back up to the end of chapter 8. John 8, and we read this Sunday during the sermon, but it's, it's too good not to read it again. John eight fifty six. Jesus said, Your father Abraham rejoiced that he would see my day. He saw it and was glad. The Jews said to him, You are not yet 50 years old, and have you seen Abraham? Jesus said to them, Truly, truly, I say to you, before Abraham was, I am. Remember from Sunday, this was more than just was versus am. This was before Abraham came to be, I am. And in verse 59, they understood exactly what Jesus was saying because they wanted to kill him for saying it. They knew he was claiming to be God. So in verse 59, they picked up stones to throw at him, but Jesus hid himself and went out of the temple. And now we get to chapter 9. As he passed by, he saw a man blind from birth. And his disciples asked him, Rabbi, who sinned, this man or his parents, that he was born blind? Jesus answered, It was not that this man sinned nor his parents, but that the works of God might be displayed in him. We must work the works of him who sent me while it is day. Night is coming when no one can work. As long as I am in the world, hmm, what does he say? I am the light of the world. That pulls us back into chapter eight a little bit. So we're still, we're just in this long string of context going on. Now let's read a few more verses to see what happens to this man. Verse six, having said these things, he spat on the ground and made mud with the saliva. Then he anointed the man's eyes with mud and said to him, go wash in the pool of Siloam, which means sent. So he went and washed and came back seeing. Now we're gonna stop and talk about this for just a minute. Um, when Jesus healed this man who was born blind, I've got down here on the, on the board if you can see this. Healing a man who was born blind was one of four very special miracles to the ancient Jews. Sometimes you, I've used the phrase messianic miracles. There were four miracles that the Jews developed a traditional belief about. They believed that only their Messiah could perform these special miracles. One of them was um, cleansing a Jewish leper, which Jesus did. One of them was casting a demon out of a mute man, 
which Jesus did. One of them is healing a man born blind. We'll actually see the other one tomorrow night, so I'll make you wait a little bit on that one. But this was the third one. And the reason it was such a special miracle was because of the Jewish belief about birth defects. They believed, and the Pharisees taught, it was just ingrained in their theology that if you were born with a birth defect, that was some egregious, uh, some, some judgment of God because of some egregious sin. You, something bad happened if you were born blind. But if you start to think about it, and it seems like the disciples sort of are thinking about it, right? Well, is he being punished for his own sin in the womb? I mean, who sinned, this man or his parents? They really didn't ask why he was born blind. They assumed it was because of sin, but they just didn't know whose sin. So they asked this question to Jesus, and Jesus, he didn't, uh, he didn't say it was the man. He didn't say it was the parents, but Jesus did what he usually did, right? There's a third answer you haven't thought about. That's the perfect answer. He said it's neither one of those. He was born blind so that the works of God might be manifest in him. And what does Jesus then do? heals him, which happens to be one of these very special miracles that only the Messiah could do. So when Jesus healed this man who was born blind, it was indisputable proof that he was their Messiah. That's why when you keep reading through John chapter 9, there is so much, uh, there's a lot of emotion going on in John chapter 9 about this man and about what Jesus did for him. Because not everybody wants to believe in Jesus. And so throughout this chapter, there's this back and forth between different groups of people about that man and about Jesus. Some people, they say, he, this is the man who was born blind, but how is he seeing? And some people said, well, he just looks like him. Obviously, it's not him that he wouldn't be seeing. And so they asked the man himself, then they brought his parents in. And they're trying to get to the bottom of this. The Pharisees and the religious leaders... are so hateful towards Jesus that they show zero joy that this man was healed. Think about that. This man has been blind his entire life and Jesus healed him and they're not happy about that. And does anybody remember what they end up doing towards the end of the chapter? What happens to this man? What do the religious leaders do to him? He is exiled from Jewish life. They kick him out of the synagogue. So, what's, there's, there is, on, in this chapter, one side of the story is what Jesus can do for you. Of course, that's a huge point. The flip side of it, and it's going to lead us into chapter 10 a little bit as well, is the way the Pharisees and the religious leaders react to this man. John chapter 9 is about Jesus healing this man, but it's also about what false leaders do for people. They are uncaring. They are insensitive. This man was given his sight, and they don't care. They kick him out of Jewish life. That's a terrible leader. Okay, so that's John 9. We're still in this Feast of Booths uh, theme, and, and now we have that. And now let's jump to John 10, 22 and talk about what Hanukkah is or the Feast of Dedication. If you 
Um, if you didn't know the term Feast of Dedication, you may have heard Hanukkah. That's what this, uh, this feast is, is Hanukkah. So, John 10, 22, we read all of a sudden that it's the Feast of Dedication, and it's winter. Now, you probably know that Hanukkah normally coincides. It coincides with our Christmas time, so we're talking about December. So, about three months somehow pass in all this, but John doesn't care about the time. He's writing with, with themes here. So when we understand a little bit about what Hanukkah was, it, it's, it's great. Hanukkah was not one of the seven feasts that God commanded the Jews to keep in Leviticus, okay? like the Feast of Booths was. Hanukkah was different. About two centuries before Jesus, the Jews were ruled um, by a very evil man named Antiochus. And he was one of the most wicked men ever to live. He tried to um, annihilate the Jewish religion. He slaughtered tens of thousands of Jews. At one point during his reign, the Jews rebelled. And they were led by a man named Judas Maccabeus. And they overthrew Antiochus. They recaptured and rededicated the temple, rededicated it to God. And the Feast of Dedication, or Hanukkah, is a holiday or a festival that celebrates that. So think about this. Hanukkah is a feast that celebrates overthrowing a wicked false leader. What is John 9 partly about? Wicked false leaders. Yes, it's about Jesus healing the man, but also we see a lot of the reaction of the Pharisees. So John chapter 10, where we get, I'm the door of the sheep and I'm the good shepherd, is this amazing story or, or teaching in the life of Jesus that is sandwiched between what false leaders do for you but in John 10, we're going to see what the true leader does for you and how he cares for you. So with, with all of that, let's look at John chapter 10. Let's read the first six verses. Notice if you look back up at the end of John chapter 9, Jesus is speaking and we just roll right into chapter 10 with no change, right? There's no break in the context. So chapter 10 and, and verse 1 Jesus said, truly, truly, I say to you, he who does not enter the sheepfold by the door, but climbs in by another way, that man is a thief and a robber. But he who enters by the door is the shepherd of the sheep. To him, the gatekeeper opens. The sheep hear his voice and he calls his own sheep by name and leads them out. When he has brought out all his own, he goes before them and the sheep follow him. For they know his voice. A stranger they will not follow, but they will flee from him, for they do not know the voice of strangers. I love verse 6. This figure of speech Jesus used with them, but they did not understand what he was saying to them. Just That's one of John's motifs, right? These people just don't understand when Jesus is speaking. So here's another one of those examples. So these first six verses here. A few things we need to understand just about shepherding in ancient Israel for some of this to make sense. Shepherds in ancient Israel and still today in that part of the world, 
they don't um, they don't drive their sheep. Okay, they don't use four wheelers and chase them around. They don't use dogs that that chase the sheep and herd them. But they go in front of their sheep. They lead them, and the sheep just follow. And there's such a warm, intimate, close connection between the shepherd and his sheep. Um, it's just something that we, in our culture, we we just we really don't understand because it's not it's not part of our culture. The connection is so um, so warm and intimate. Um, maybe make a note in your workbook to, to look this up tonight. If you look up online, um, you can search for videos of a shepherd calling his sheep. Just just search something like that. You can find different videos. And there are there are videos online where there's a maybe a tour group that is you know at the edge of a sheep pen, and the the, the shepherd says, "Y'all try to call the sheep over." And so they take turns trying to get the sheep to come. They don't even move. They don't care. But I guess what happens when the shepherd does his call? Here they come. They know his voice. You and I can't call the sheep, but the shepherd, they will hear. They know what he says. They know his whistle. They know his tune, whatever it is that he does to get their attention. And they'll come running for the shepherd. They will even follow him um, our tour guide in Israel told us that a shepherd can walk through the busy streets of Jerusalem whistling his tune and his sheep will follow him down the marketplace. They will not veer one side or the other. Isn't that amazing? We, would th- we usually give sheep a bad rap and say they're dumb animals, right? And there's, there's, there's some truth to that. We would think they would just go into the shops and they would tear everything up. But no, they're just going to follow their shepherd. There's that, much, there's that closeness there, and they'll, they'll just follow him. So he's talking here about um, this, this connection that the sheep have with the shepherd. He's going to go into that more in the next few verses as well. But here he says that if there's a man in verse 1, if somebody doesn't enter by the door but climbs in another way, he's a thief and a robber. Now the imagery he's using here. I'm not Carrie Hill, so y'all can't laugh at my drawing. It's not going to be quite as good as hers. But oftentimes at night, they would have, um, they would bring the sheep into some sort of pen. This is supposed to be a rock wall with a circle. Okay, there's the door. Let's label it door. <laughs> All right? And, he, and here's the sheep. Look at that. They're fluffy. And they're smiling. Okay, <laughs> it looks like a bug. It's a ladybug sheep. A bug. <laughs> yeah. So this could have been a cave. It could be a, a fenced area. It could be rocks. But they, they would bring sheep in here for safekeeping. Um, and oftentimes, well, let me back up and say it this way. The shepherd is just going to go right through the door. It's his sheep. But if you're a thief, if you're a robber, you've got to try to climb in. Right? You're not, you, you can't get through the door. They're not going to let you in that way. You've got to be sneaky. You've got to do something underhanded. And Jesus is saying, if somebody does that, well, they're not the shepherd. They're a thief. They're a robber. But he who enters by the door, he's the shepherd. He's coming in the right way. The sheep hear his voice. He calls his own sheep by name, and he leads them out. Now, this is really interesting, something they did in ancient Israel. They may still do it today. Sometimes at night, in this pen, 
multiple flocks would come together. Makes sense. That's right. Let's use all the room we have, and maybe it's safer for the sheep, and there can be multiple shepherds here, maybe. That's fine. In the morning, if we all have our flocks in here, and I wake up before you guys do, and I yell at my sheep, hey, Matt's flock, come on. My sheep will hear my voice, and they will leave the pen and follow me, and your sheep will stay in the pen because you have not called them. It's incredible. So that's why he said, I will, they, the shepherd calls his sheep by name and they will follow him even when there's multiple flocks in the pen. So when he goes out, he said in verse four, when he has brought out all of his own, he goes before them. They know his voice. They will not follow a stranger. So Jesus is using this figure of speech now. This, um, it's not technically called a parable here, but we, we could use that term, okay? Jesus was teaching them that he's the rightful leader in Israel. He's the rightful shepherd. And we think specifically about entering through the door and going the right way. And we'll talk about this in our discussion a little bit. Jesus came exactly when, where, why, how, you name it, exactly the way the Father planned all these other false spiritual leaders, all these Pharisees, they don't care about the sheep and they're not doing things that God wants. They're not following his will. They're not doing things the right way. They don't understand that Jesus is talking though, or talking about this. They don't, they don't grasp that he is telling them, I'm the right leader that you need. So he keeps going and let's read seven through, through 22. Boy, time's going by quick tonight. Verse seven. So Jesus again said to them, Truly, truly, I say to you, I am the door of the sheep. All who came before me are thieves and robbers, but the sheep did not listen to them. I am the door. If anyone enters by me, he will be saved and will, be go, in, uh, and will go in and out and find pasture. The thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy. I came that they may have life and have it abundantly. I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. He who is a hired hand and not a shepherd, who does not own the sheep, sees the wolf coming and leaves the sheep and flees. And the wolf snatches them and scatters them. He flees. This is... This is so good. He flees because he's a hired hand and cares nothing for the sheep. I am the good shepherd. I know my own and my own know me just as the father knows me and I know the father and I lay down my life for the sheep and I have other sheep that are not of this fold. I must bring them also and they will listen to my voice. So there will be one flock, one shepherd. For this reason, the father loves me because I lay down my life that I may take it up again. No one takes it from me, but I lay it down of my own accord. I have authority to lay it down and I have authority to take it up again. This charge I have received from my father. There was a division again among the Jews because of these words. Many of them said he has a demon and is insane. Why listen to him? Others said, these are not the words of one who is oppressed by a demon. Notice what they refer to. Can a demon open the eyes of the blind? 
Now they're pulling right back to John 9. But then all of a sudden at that time, the Feast of Dedication took place in Jerusalem. Whoa! When did these three months pass? I don't know. But John sandwiched these things together because the flow is beautiful about how Jesus cares for his sheep, not like Antiochus when, when he was overthrown, not like the, the Pharisees and other religious leaders who didn't care about the man who was healed in John chapter 9. Jesus cares about you, and he wants to protect you. All right, so let's look at our actual I am statements then in verse 7 here. The first one is I'm the door of the sheep. You've got to pay double tonight because we get two I am statements in one lesson. So, you know, the entry fee's twice what it is. What's twice of nothing? Double nothing. All right. I'm the door of the sheep. Remember from our other lessons, just quickly, the I am phrases point to his deity, relates back to the way Jesus, uh, to the way God revealed himself to Moses at the burning bush, points to his self-existence, his, his timelessness, his transcendent life, and they understood that. The other side of the phrase, the door of the sheep here, and then the good shepherd here in a minute, tell us something about his relationship to us and what he does for us. Okay, so I'm the door of the sheep. I moved our, I moved our illustration over here. What's the subject tenor? Those of you who've been here a couple nights. Jesus, right. Jesus is the main point. We're not learning more about doors. We're not trying to learn more about sheep pens. We're learning more about Jesus. He's the main subject. Now what's the vehicle that teaches us more about Jesus here? Door, right? Sheep pen would be okay because that's what, that's what we're talking about here. Jesus is the door. Now, wherever the overlap is here, that's the comparison, right? That's what we call the ground. Jesus isn't obviously a literal door. But what's the overlap? Why could he say this about himself? Well, let's look at verse 7 and verse 8 in the context, right? Context always determines the ground. Truly, truly, verse 7, I say to you, I am the door of the sheep. All who came before me are thieves and robbers, but the sheep did not listen to them. I am the door. If anyone enters by me, he will be saved and will go in and out and find pasture. So, what did the door do for the sheep? Well, Jesus' illustration is sort of twofold here. At night, when the sheep came into the pen, they had to go through the door. The sheep aren't climbing the walls. They're not tunneling underneath. They have to go through the door. If you want the protection of the shepherd and the pen, you go through the door. So spiritually speaking, if you want the protection of God in your life, it has to be through Jesus. No other way. And that kind of echoes the I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. I don't have any issue with that being a salvation thing. But there's more to it than just salvation because what did Jesus say um, in verse 8? Uh, I'm sorry, verse 9. If anyone enters by me, he will be saved 
and we'll go in and out. Uh Uh-oh. Can we go in and out of salvation? No, obviously not. So Jesus is not just speaking about salvation here. At night, the sheep went into the pen for protection. Okay? They came in here to be protected. But they went out during the day for provisions. When the shepherd called them out, said, hey guys, it's time to go eat breakfast. It's time to go find some still waters and some green pastures and I'm going to lead you there. It's not about going in and out of salvation. Okay, at night we're saved and in the daytime we're not. That's not what he's talking about at all. But the door is the, the entryway for both protection and provision for the sheep. If you want God's protection in your life and you want God's provisions in your life, it comes through Jesus. No other way. He's the door. Now, he mentions here, and we'll talk about this in in just a little bit in our discussion, verse 10. The thief only comes to steal, uh, steal and kill and destroy those people that don't enter the right way. The false leaders, they don't care about your protection or your provisions like the true leader does. But he says here that in verse 11, I'm sorry, at the end of verse 10, he came to give us life abundantly. Isn't that what a shepherd wants for a sheep? Does a shepherd want his sheep just barely getting by and having a, you know, just struggling, struggling? And No, a shepherd wants his sheep to have everything that he or she needs. God wants you to have everything you need. And we'll talk about what that means here in a little while. It'll be one of our discussion questions. What does it mean to have an abundant life? But that's what a shepherd wanted for his sheep. All right, so trusting in Jesus. The door. He's the only entryway to the protection of God. He's the only... He's the only one who can lead you in life for the provisions that you need, just like a shepherd would lead his sheep. But he continues, right? There's another metaphor here as well. In verse, oh, y'all help me find it. Verse 14, he repeats this one, doesn't he? 11 and 14, he says, I'm the good shepherd. Okay, so again, the I am is going to point to his deity. The other side of the phrase tells us something about his relationship to us. So now he says, I'm the door of the, uh, earlier I'm the door of the sheep, but now he says, I'm the good shepherd. It's a different, different metaphor. Where's the ground? Where's the overlap? Well, look at the context. Look at verse 11. It's pretty easy. I'm the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. That's it. Some of these are really easy. This one is an easy one. I'll uh, race the door there here and put the uh, put shepherd up here as the vehicle. The overlap is that a shepherd will die for his sheep. What did Jesus do for you? He died for you. It doesn't mean that Jesus has to walk around with a shepherd's staff all the time. It doesn't mean that he has to um, do all these other shepherding. That's not the point. Don't... Don't push this too far over, right? In this this instance, he said, I'm the good shepherd because I'll die for you. Do 
Do you remember what David did in the Old Testament? When a lion and a bear came and got one sheep from his flock when he was a teenager? He chased him down and killed him, didn't he? He told King Saul about it before he went and fought Goliath. King Saul was not sure about sending David, this teenager, out to face the giant Goliath. And David said, paraphrasing, look, this ain't my first rodeo. I'm a veteran. He wasn't, he wasn't bragging on himself. He's going to give God all the credit. But he said, look, I was a shepherd. And when a lion and a bear took a sheep from my flock, I chased them down and I killed them. And the same Lord that gave their paws into my hand will give this uncircumcised Philistine into my hand too. David risked his life to save one sheep. What did Jesus tell in his parable in Luke? Was it Luke 15? That lost trilogy? What man among you, if he has a hundred sheep and one goes astray, will not leave the ninety-nine and go after that one sheep. That's how valuable that sheep is to the shepherd. He will risk his life and even lay his life down to protect that sheep. And that is exactly what Jesus Christ did for us. He laid his life down to protect us from sin and death and hell forever. Other leaders, like the Pharisees in John chapter 9, they kicked a guy to the synagogue. <laughs> Jesus is saying, I'm going to die for you. These people won't even let him worship with him. <laughs> they kicked him out. You see the difference between... Oh, I forgot to take away our things. Look at here. Jesus... Well, that was kind of you know anticlimactic, right? Sandwiched in between these two false spiritual leader ideas is in verse chapter 10 that Jesus is the rightful leader who cares for the sheep, which he just demonstrated in John chapter 9 by healing the man born blind that everybody else thought was the worst person in Israel because he was born blind. So there was something terribly wrong in his life or his parents' life. Jesus didn't care. He loved him. He cared for him. He healed him. All right. Let's see. We've got about five minutes left here. Let me see if I'm missing anything or forgetting something. Jesus reiterated the metaphor in verse 14. And then he emphasized multiple times over the next couple of verses what makes him the good shepherd. David risked his life for those sheep, right? But he didn't actually die. He killed the lion, he killed the bear. Jesus did actually die for you. He didn't just risk his life. He gave it. But the way Jesus speaks here is amazing. In verse 18, notice, no one takes it from me. I lay it down. Jesus' life was not taken. It was given. He was willing to do this. If he was not willing, nobody could have laid a hand on him. He cared for us so much that he willingly sacrificed his own life to protect us and to provide for us, which is what a shepherd does for his sheep. 
All right. I guess really quick, sadly, in verse 19 to 21, we read those verses. Even after all of this, people couldn't agree about who Jesus was. He gave them indisputable evidence in chapter 9. And then he explained that he was the good shepherd, and they're still arguing about him. Some people even thought he was demon-possessed. Others said, no, these, this isn't how a demon-possessed person speaks, much less demons don't run around healing people. And they're, they're torn. The same is true today when people don't agree about who Jesus is. We better agree with who, what God says about him, which is that he is his son and he's exalted. All right. I want to end. We've, we've got just a few minutes for our break and just kind of end with a, just a couple of questions for you to, to think about. I asked you to think about your most valuable possession, right? Um, and I know hopefully everybody else in here would say, you know, family or you know, things like that, but just a tangible possession sort of thing. You, th- you thought about it and, and hopefully you thought about where you keep it and how much it meant to you and what you would do to protect it. I think that I can answer for my wife that if our house was on fire, the first thing she would want me to save are her scrapbooks. Because if all of those pictures burned up, they're gone. And I hope that I would be man enough, husband enough to risk my life to go and get those scrapbooks. Hopefully I don't ever have to find out. But we will, we will risk our lives to save things and protect things that are valuable to us, right? We will do that. So how valuable are you to God? that he would send his only son to die for you, to protect you and rescue you. That's how much he loves you. False religious leaders, false religions and false religious leaders, they do not care about you like God does. Jesus is the rightful leader. Okay. Let's take our break. Take about a 10 minute break and then we'll come back and got a lot of discussion questions tonight and there's going to be a few more that I add that I add to to your workbook so you'll have to write a few more down but all right let's have let's just have a quick prayer there's a dessert over here coffee you can get up and stretch your legs we'll we'll do about 10 minutes again okay let's pray father thank you so much for this time that you've given us to look into your word lord thank you so much for the protection and the provision that Jesus offers us. Thank you so much for the fact that he laid his life down for us to rescue us and protect us from sin and death and hell. And we just, we are thankful for the abundant life that you give us in him. We ask all these things in in his name. Amen.